0: Hey, I can't say this enough, but thank you for tuning in to another Sermon MP3 from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. This is Sunday, January 23, 2022, and this Sunday we continue our series again called All the Hope We Do Not Yet Fully See. And today's message is It Should Be Obvious by Now. It's taken from Galatians 5, verses 19 to 21. We hope you enjoy. God bless you as you listen. Father, We come to your word with respect and honor, a bit of fear and trembling, but also with great joy. Because, Lord, as we read our Bibles, as we study it, show ourselves approved, workmen who need not be ashamed, Lord, you change us. And those changes are so evident to us that we just want to glorify your holy name forever. And we know that the changes that you bring in us because of your word, because of how we look into this word of life, Lord, we know that it's evident to the people around us too. And we pray, Lord, that as a result of being in your word today, we would do such good works among the unreached, unbelieving peoples of our life network that they will bring honor and praise and glory to our God. Lord, be with us now as we're in your word. Holy Spirit, speak. Show us, reveal to us what we're missing and what we're needing to do so that we may bring honor and glory to you, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen. Well, in case you've missed a little bit of it uh, over the last couple of weeks, We are in a series called All the Hope We Do Not Yet Fully See. The reason for this series is not because I think there's a bunch of legalists among us, but because I sensed that God was wanting to encourage all of us. You here in this room, you online, God is wanting to encourage us so that we would be able to see the hope that we're maybe not yet fully seeing. Our series is anchored in Galatians 5. And the Apostle Paul, where the Apostle Paul explains right in verse 1 what it is that Jesus did for us. And then in verse 5, he explains what we're to do to live that out. Let's read it first. Galatians 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Verse 5. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness of, for which we hope. Freedom in Christ is the point of our faith, right? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And it is, according to verse 5, through the Spirit that our faith is lived out. Our freedom is lived out day to day. The reality of our Christian experience is that while ideally, ideally, we may be able to accept that as truth, That we are spiritually free in Christ. But practically, we sometimes don't feel very free, do we? And I think that's why God's wanting to encourage you these days. We think of the freedom that we have in Christ as some mere spiritual reality. Which to us means that it's not really all that real. At least we don't feel it in the everyday kind of stuff of life. We know that one day we will be able to experience the full benefit of our faith in Christ. That full freedom. One day when Christ returns, we shall, we shall one day experience the righteousness of Christ in its fullest. Our salvation will be complete. And then that will be reality to us. But right now, right now it doesn't seem sometimes... Like it's possible to live free. Don't get me wrong, we have our good days, but then we have our some not so good days. Sometimes our struggle with sin and the flesh is so great that we doubt whether it's even possible to live totally free from sin. And this is why the Lord wants to encourage you these days. Well, just so that we don't forget, I want you to repeat after me. I am totally free in Christ. Christ. Not partially free. Not Not almost free. Not Not even mostly free. free. I am totally free in Christ. Christ. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. Okay, today, while we are totally free in Christ, what about sin? What about sin? Well, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. The apostle says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. First thing I want you to notice is Paul's claim that these acts of the flesh are obvious. And that's our first point. Number one, obviously sin is still sin. Obviously sin is still sin. Sin. Verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ugh! That part at the end is pretty heavy, isn't it? I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. We'll get to that at the end. Paul says in verse 9, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Never in Paul's defense for the Christian's full freedom in Christ does he ever claim that sin stops being sin. Obviously, sin is still sin. So far, throughout the book, and in chapter 5, verse 1, Paul's biggest emphasis was to warn the Galatians about the works of the law. That that pursuing them as a way to gain acceptance by God would rob them of their freedom in Christ. Let me reread verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The works of the law were things, like he pointed out, like circumcision. Things like the Sabbath-keeping, ceremonial cleanliness, ritualized rule-keeping, and the like. Those were an attempt by these Judaizers to kind of earn one's salvation, to, to get God to have full acceptance of you. And that will obviously rob you of the grace of God. Now, Paul transitions to another category of freedom robbers. He calls it the acts of the flesh. Or as other translations call it, the acts of the sinful nature or the works of the flesh. The flesh is essentially selfish living. And as he said earlier in verse 17, that kind of living is contrary to life in the spirit. We need to understand that when, that when Paul uses flesh and spirit, he is not thinking in Platonic terms. Plato was a, a, um, a popular philosophy uh, back in, the, in Paul's day and even stretches into today's day. It's part of university curriculums. We, we learn about it. But, but that claim of theirs is that the body or anything physical was evil or unspiritual. that's not what Paul's talking about. Instead, Paul is describing the the core-based impulse of any unbelieving human being. The flesh is the self-centered impulse of the human being to gratify our base, unsanctified evil desires. No doubt, this is not a comprehensive list as you read through it. These are probably the acts uh, that the Galatians might have been vulnerable to, especially the Gentile Christians among them who were just saved out of pagan lifestyles. The phrase, and the like, makes it clear that these are only a few examples. And then Paul categorizes this list into four categories. There's sex, there's worship, relationships, and what I'll call wantonness sex as he goes on to describe is the sexual immorality acts of impurity and demo- and debauchery in the area of worship the category of worship idolatry and witchcraft in the category of relationships and notice this list is a little bigger than all the others because these tend to impact a lot of churches hatred discord jealousy fits of rage selfish ambition dissensions factions and envy and then wantonness things like over-the-top, like drunkenness and orgies. As you look at the list, there is some overlap, of course, but again, it's just a general list to get the point across that sin is obviously still sin. Seeing as how a number of Paul's converts, no doubt, came from lifestyles and, and religions that approved of these four categories of sin, Paul obviously felt the need to emphasize that now that they are in Christ, These acts are no longer allowable acts. Sin is obviously still sin. Why would he need to address them on this? Paul's audience seems to have a problem maybe of what we would call backsliding today. Backsliding is when after making a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ... A believer goes back to lifestyle choices. Choices that once separated us from God. And choices that would now betray our loyalty to Jesus. Let me remind you of what happened when you believed in Jesus. In Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul in verse 6 to 7. I'll take this from the Christian Standard Bible. I like how it's worded. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. We've been singing a lot about that this morning. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless. So that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin. Remember, that was an, there was an old you. And now there is a new you. That old you was a slave to sin. You obeyed its every yearning and craving. And because of that sin, you were an enemy in your mind and also in your body toward God. But then you heard the gospel. You heard the good news of salvation in Jesus. That Jesus' death and resurrection made it possible for you to put that old you to death. So that you could escape its effects. So that you could escape its power. And now live a new life. In the the power of the resurrection, resurrection of Jesus. And you became a new you. Isn't that awesome? No longer a slave to sin. Now you are free to live by the Spirit of God all the time. Friend, the good news of the gospel is that you don't need to be a slave to those sins that Paul mentioned anymore. You don't need to. Now, Galatians 5.16 says, If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And if you walk by the Spirit, verse 18, you will not come under judgment of the law. Sin is obviously still sin, but you are now free in Christ to not have to sin. Isn't that awesome? Now, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, but why do we still sin sometimes? Why do we still desire what that old self desired? Well, that leads to our second point for today, number two. Information does not necessarily translate, does not naturally translate into transformation. Information does not naturally translate into transformation. Look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And then verse 21, uh, the latter part, I warned you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God if you are led by the Spirit. That if says that it's possible for a believer, for one who has accepted the free gift of God's grace to not be led by the Spirit, And instead to be led by the selfish desires of that old nature that you used to have. I can tell you over and over again who you are now in Christ. I can tell you about your new identity in Jesus day after day after day. I could say it out loud, and I have, we have together. You could learn it every day, that you are free in Christ. You could learn that in in a sermon. You can learn that in Bible studies that we offer here. You can learn that in your own personal devotions. You could learn that over and over and over again. But friends, information does not naturally translate into transformation. Just because we read it, just because we study it, doesn't mean it's going to happen. There is still an outstanding if. Look over that list again. Let me turn back to it. Look over that list again. And tell me that you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ haven't wrestled with some of those since you believed. Maybe you're still an ongoing slave to one of those sins or more. Perhaps you're involved in one of the many sexual sins from porn to sex outside of marriage to homosexuality. Sin is still sin, obviously. Perhaps you're mixing your faith in Jesus with witchcraft or Wicca or some form of divination like astrology or crystals. Sin is still sin, obviously. Perhaps you've given over to fits of rage from time to time or, or jealousy or, or gossip or stirring up some trouble through maybe like things like social media. Maybe it's some social media controversy. Maybe it's theological or maybe it's just the recent government cover-up. Sin is still sin, obviously. Or perhaps you drink too much or you're a partier. I know you can stop drinking anytime you want, Right? Or maybe it's drugs. It's just for leisure, recreational. But sin is still sin, obviously. See, it takes intention to change information into transformation. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you are led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. One of the deficiencies I see in Christian Bible study is the lack of accountability to obey. Not just here. I'm just thinking in general from what I hear through other pastors and other places and from personal experiences. One of the deficiencies I see in Christian Bible studies is the lack of accountability to obey. We usually kind of skip over that part. Why? Because it feels too intrusive. Maybe that's the Canadian side of us. We're too nice. Think of the last Bible study you went to, or the last Christian nonfiction book that is uh, written in order to help you with your Christian walk, or even the last time you read your Bible. Were you, as James chapter 1 verse 22 to 23 says, merely a hearer of that word, or did you do what it says? Did you put it into practice? James continues in verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You see what uh, what, uh, James does there. He says, it's not just enough to have knowledge, not just hearing it, but doing it that's important. See, nobody's keeping anybody accountable to do the word, in other words, to obey it. And as a result, we miss the blessing of transformation. In our Bible studies, if our Bible studies did keep each other accountable, first of all, I think there'd probably be a lot fewer people that would come to the Bible studies. And that's probably why we don't do the accountability piece because we really want people to come so that they can hear more about God. But again, that's not the point. As a result, many Bible studies and books, even our own personal quiet time in the Lord, just, be, just becomes a content dump. But content doesn't transform. Obedience to the Spirit of God transforms. Obedience to the Spirit of God is what is necessary. That's why it says that information does not naturally translate into transformation. Number three, point number three. Be careful what you're living like. Be careful what you're living like. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Are you living like the old you or like the new you? Are you living like the Spirit-led believer that you have been redeemed to be by the grace of God, or like someone who is living to gratify their base urges. My brother-in-law used to uh, be the director of Freedom in Christ Ministries. He's passed now, uh, just this last year. But their founder, Neil Anderson, in his book, The Bondage Breaker, helps his readers to understand their true identity in Christ. He writes this, Biblically and in the eyes of God, you are not a sinner saved by grace. You are now a saint who sometimes sins. At one time, you were a sinner. But now that you are saved, now that you are saved and your sin-driven past is behind you, biblically and in the eyes of God, you are now a saint of his who sometimes sins. My earlier life as a believer, I was told that Jesus died on the cross because I was a sinner. And the benefit of that was I became a forgiven sinner. Before the cross, I was a sinner. But nobody told me that Jesus died on the cross to totally change my identity in the eyes of God. Of course, he died on the cross because I sinned, But he didn't die because I was a sinner. He died because I was a lost son. The cross canceled the sin nature that I inherited from Adam in the garden. And it canceled the sins that I committed personally. The difference is the cross doesn't expose your sin. It removes them. It's the law of God according to the word that exposes sin. It's not my ability to sin that makes me a sinner. Sinner was my old identity in Adam, but now I am a son. I am a saint. I'm a child of God who sometimes sins. And there's a difference in my head as a result of that new truth. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't just free me from sin. He freed me from having to sin. He freed me from having to follow the urges of my old flesh nature. I don't have to sin. And if I'm walking in step with the Spirit, I will not sin. See, I was taught a sin-conscious gospel, and all that did was prey on my my guilt. And it kept me a slave to my sins. I wasn't taught a grace-conscious gospel. I hope your experience has been different. But being a pastor these many years, I don't think so. I think this is pretty common to most people in the faith. It is the grace of God that causes people to change, not guilt. So be careful what you're living like. Are you living like a child of God in your heart and in your head? If you are, then you will live that way. Stop trying to live like a good Christian. Be a child of God. And it will change the way you act. Being, just enjoy being God's beloved. Forgiven, blessed, sanctified, holy, empowered, seated with Christ in the heavenlies, and destined for eternity. Enjoy being that person. Instead of a sinner, saved by grace. When you wake up in the morning believing you're a sinner saved by grace, you're just waking up sin conscious. You're you're waking up already half defeated, and you're anticipating sinning sometime during that day, probably many times during that day. You're anticipating losing favor with God, and you will spend the rest of your day trying to get that back. You're expecting to be a slave to sin. And I guess what that does then... Think of the natural consequences of that. You will begin to try to avoid being with God. You'll try to avoid Him because of guilt. But you are now saved from all that. So wake up as a child of God, a new creation in Christ, an object of God's love, wrapped in the righteousness of Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit, and anticipate living out that new Christ-centered identity throughout your day. And it will change the way you live. As long as you wake up a sinner saved by grace. That gospel will remain a mystery to you. Because you'll remain a slave to that old sin, that old sin identity that you once had. But it isn't you anymore. But you'll still try to live it. And who, was, and who of us wants to share that kind of a gospel with our friends and neighbors? Nobody does. Now what about Paul's warning at the end? Galatians 5:21, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is this a one-time practice of any of these sins, or is it ongoing practice? Or is it either, or is it both? Unfortunately, there are some some translations like the ESV. Don't get me wrong, ESV is an awesome translation. It's probably one of the best word-for-word translations that we have out there. But it reads like this, Galatians 5.21, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It seems to be putting the emphasis on just doing some of these sins that will get you rejected from heaven. But that's not consistent with the rest of Scripture, is it? In fact, if we, if we back up to verse 5, Paul puts the emphasis on the completion of one's righteousness in the future-fulfilled kingdom when Christ returns to bring everything under, under his control into full completion. As he says, through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Are you righteous, righteous now, clothed in the righteousness of Christ? Absolutely. But one day, you will experience the full Righteousness of Christ when you are glorified with Christ in the heavenly realms. We are already righteous in Christ, but sometimes we don't feel like it. Sometimes we still sin and that makes us feel guilty, but we are still covered by the grace of God. Our identity hasn't changed, our destiny hasn't changed. And one day, on that day, on the day of the Lord, at the second coming of Christ, this is what we eagerly hope for in the Spirit, that on that day we will no longer have to live by faith with our resurrection bodies. We will be able to live fully, completely, and even by sight. Our salvation will be fully complete, and what we are in Christ now will be our full reality forever. Hallelujah. Can't wait for that day. But what do we do in the meantime? Well, it stands to reason then that the NIV translation is a little bit better in this this verse here. That those who live like this, rather than those who do these things. That those who live like this shows that if one dies living like the old self, living out these sins habitually, then they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you're living out these sins habitually, all all those lists and categories, then you are not identifying as a child of God. And you don't have any reason to have hope in eternal life if you're living this way. So while a Christian may occasionally get pulled into some of these sins, they haven't lost their salvation. But those who live... This way. To the end. Habitually. Continually. They're acting like they are not even saved. They're denying their new identity in Christ. And therefore, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Living like that. That's a hard truth. That's a hard thing to think of when you think of our friends and neighbors who are living apart from Christ. And therefore... Be careful what you're living like. Information does not naturally translate into transformation. We need to obey and keep in step with the Spirit. And obviously sin is still sin. So Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit. And next week, next week we'll learn about the acts of the Spirit. And find out why they are so different than the acts of the sinful nature. I hope you're encouraged today to realize that you are a child of God. That you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And you don't have to live for the urges of that old nature anymore. You can keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, because we live in this world and we are surrounded every single moment of every day with opportunities to sin, with temptations ad nauseum, it is not hard for any of us to get pulled into sin from time to time. But thank you, Lord, that you have put to death the power of that old life that we once had and that we no longer have to live like that. We can now live totally free in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we have his grace to back us up whenever we fail to. To God be the glory. Lord, I pray for my sisters and brothers here today and online. Some of them are struggling with some of those lists and categories that Paul wrote about. For some of them, they're occasional slips. For some of them, they're ongoing. They're giving in to them every single day, or at least many days. I pray, Lord, that you would... You would bring that stern warning to our hearts today that those who live like this are in danger of not inheriting the kingdom of God. But instead, Lord, help us to turn to the grace of Christ, to embrace this new nature that we have in him, and to live by the power of the Spirit and and the resurrection of Christ, and to live truly free as we are are declared by you. Lord, help our, our acts to match up with our identity. Teach us every single day. Lord, this is why we need Bible study. This is why we need to be in your word. This is why we need the church. So that, Lord, when we come around the word together, we can hold each other accountable. And I know that word is a hard word for people to get and to want in their life. But, Lord, help us to want it. Help us to want sisters and brothers to keep us accountable so that, Lord, we walk in the spirit. So that we have people to turn to to say, you know, I'm having a hard time with this. What do I do? What did you do? And help us, Lord, as iron sharpens iron, to sharpen one another, to spur one another on because these days are growing darker. Evil is all around us. And the enemy is striving day in and day out to trip up his, the church and to, to get us to reject Christ. So, Lord... We pray that in this day, we would own our identity in Jesus and we would learn to live like him, to learn to enjoy this new identity that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and to make that the basis of our journey, our Christian walk, in Jesus' name.